This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, welcome you guys to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Alex Fitton and I am so excited to be your host bringing you stories from adoptive moms and other characters in the adoptive community just um, connecting with each other and sharing their hearts through this journey and this Honestly, it's our kingdom work, man. We are standing in the fire for these kids, and that is no joke. So I'm so thankful that I get to be a small part of your story, and hopefully I can bring you some encouragement during this this whole thing. Um, Today, my guest is Jack Ernst. So Jack is Canadian, and she moved to the States with her family for her husband's job. She has two kids, both of which have some higher-than-normal needs. And she even left her career in digital marketing to stay home with them and manage their needs. And on top of that, she started a high-needs mom life community. And it's um, it's just a community full of moms who have similar family lives to her. So they have kids with higher needs, and some of those are even forever kids, meaning that they will always live with them. And um, this is new, but she's starting a high-needs mom life podcast for that community. So we just have really similar passions, you know, with my heart for adoptive moms and her heart for high-needs moms. And I'm so thankful that God allowed our paths to cross and that we are able to collaborate on those passions. Um, I was really excited to chat with her about um, all of our kids with higher needs, because if you're an adoptive mom, you are a high-needs mom, and how we can be the mom they need without losing our minds. So I'm really excited about that. Before that, though, I want to remind you guys about my Facebook group. So it's called the Adoptive Mom Community. You can find links to that in the show notes, or you can just go to the Facebook page and um, I think there's a link there or you can search for the Adoptive Mom Community. Um, It's just a really great place for us to connect with each other and walk alongside each other in this journey. Another great way to connect with me is through my email list. And if you're already on there, congratulations. But if not, you should go to theadoptivemompodcast.com slash email and that'll get you the episode right to your inbox and it'll also get a special note from me and giveaways and lots of fun stuff. So don't miss out. Adoptedmompodcast.com slash email. Um, on that note, let's jump into my interview with Jack. Okay, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am sitting here with my friend in real life, Jack Ernst. And when I say sitting here, I mean like literally sitting here. We're in the same room, which is so much fun because it's kind of like we're having coffee together. Yeah. Which we do on a weekly basis anyway. Yeah. But I am thrilled to death to chat with you. But before we jump into all of the cool stuff that you do, why don't you take a second and introduce us to you and your family? So I am Jack Ernst. I am wife to Mr. Big and mama to Minnie Man, who will be eight, and Little Miss, who will be six. And it's crazy to say that. I'm getting old. (laughs) So I should make the disclaimer here that both of those children came out of her body, so she is not an adoptive mom yet. But there's a really good reason for that. So I don't know if you could tell by her really (laughs) subtle accent, Jack is uh, is not from this country. She's Canadian, and so the country hasn't decided whether or not she's a terrorist, so they will not let her adopt yet until she's 
officially a U.S. citizen, right? Is that the deal? Yes. So at this point, we're not allowed to foster because we don't have green cards. We are legal. We're legal immigrants. <laughs> In case anyone was wondering, we are legally here. But yes, we're Canadian. We don't have green cards yet, so we're not allowed to foster. And we're not allowed to adopt until we're full American citizens, which I also think is slightly crazy. Yeah, but so you've got a long road ahead there. But she also she has another really cool connection to adoption. Her mom was adopted, right? Yes. So tell us a little bit about what it was like. Just really short, what it was about. What it was like growing up as the kid of an adopted kid. I guess when I was younger, I didn't fully realize that my mom was adopted. It was just my mom. My grandmother was always my grandmother. But in seventh grade, my mom actually found her biological siblings, some of her biological siblings. So then we kind of started down this road of figuring out who she was genetically, who her biological siblings were, kind of connecting some of the missing pieces that we didn't understand about us as kids and our family. And it was interesting. It was also really interesting to walk through my mom introducing her biological brothers to her adopted mom. Oh, yeah. I bet that that would be like a weird, I don't know, that'd be weird, but I bet it was really cool and it was cool for her to have that experience to share, um, especially to, to have you guys with her as she went through that, you know, it taught, I, I don't know, what are some of the things that you think it taught you? Like, did it teach you just that family can look a lot of different ways or what? Yeah, and just this different level of unconditional love and acceptance beyond just a child coming from you. Uh, And then just that life takes you on a lot of different adventures. And sometimes what we don't see can be as much of a blessing as what we do see. And the journey that some of her biological siblings went on that she didn't have to because she was adopted when she was younger. That's really cool. So, I mean, all of this is really awesome. And I feel like we could do a whole episode on on that, just the the intricacies of growing up um, with essentially like two different, I say heritages, but like... You, you know, you had a family line from one place and then you had a family line from another. And I don't know, that's really interesting. But that is not exactly why you're here. So Jack has her own podcast and she also has a website and just kind of a, a organization in general surrounding high needs moms. So tell us about your own kids and what got you to this point. So both my kids have what I call a little bit extra. They have (laughs) something extra going on beyond just being typical. Something singular is not accurate either. (laughs) (laughs) That too. They just have more going on than what you would expect of, we call them neurotypical kids. Yeah, fair. So we have just been on this journey of what I have... called high needs parenting. And what really solidified it was a few years ago, I saw a video about done by a group of young adults with Down syndrome saying that they're not special. Their needs are not special compared to 
the rest of the world. Really, their needs were for love and acceptance and um, integration into society. And so the term special needs kind of changed for me. I didn't, it changed the connotation of it. And so I decided to start saying high needs. My kids, all kids are needy wherever whatever their circumstances, all kids are needy. My kids just have a higher level of need than some other kids. So Minnie Man, my eight-year-old, is autistic. He's a high-functioning autistic child. And then he is also mostly deaf. Usually all deaf when I'm talking, just because he doesn't (laughs) want to listen to me. But he has... Um, severe hearing loss in both ears. So he is Sheldon Cooper with hearing aids. (laughs) That's a really great description. And I've met him and I can see that. (laughs) Yeah. And Little Miss is six and she's what we call our, she is what medicine would call medically fragile, which I also hate the connotation of because she's not fragile in any way. She's pretty tough. So, She's medically complex. She has a lot of kind of inside stuff going on that we just monitor, Um, heart stuff, kidney stuff. She has a couple autoimmune diseases that cause a lot of food allergies, which is a big part of her life. And then she also has cerebral palsy. So she was born early and they told us she might not ever walk unassisted and now she's walking and running and swimming without assistance which is just miraculous absolutely so yeah you you've listed a few different things and they really don't go together like what i'm saying is it's not like one of them just has issues with senses, you know, I'll be a different senses. It's like one of them has sensory issues and autism, you know, autism. And so it's like two different things. And then like you have allergies and physical ailments on one. And it's like, there's just so much going on. And so you also, you worked full time for most of their lives thus far. And it's only recently that you decided that they needed some more, I don't, I don't know, energy and input from you, right? Yeah. Our, when we moved to Arkansas from Canada, our kind of co-parenting relationship changed. In Canada, we both worked full-time, and my husband was essentially in charge of Miniman. He filled out all the paperwork for Miniman. He did all the surveys. He did everything. He knew all the ins and outs. He went to every Miniman appointment, and I did Little Miss. And so we co-parented, which I know people use as a divorce term, but (laughs) for us, it was essentially we co-parented these two kids. And when we moved to Arkansas, our work-life balance changed, and we were just in a place where the easiest way to find flow again that made sense was for me to not work anymore and really be full-time high-needs mom. Well, and let's be honest, I mean, I think you're kind of a superhero for, I mean, many families who have this level of high-needs in their in their family life, one parent can't work. You know, it's kind of like when it, when a child gets cancer or something, like you, you can't 
sustain normal life. So it's really cool that you guys have made lots of different things work for your family. And right now that looks like you staying home and now you're doing some really cool things with supporting other moms. And I want to get into that. Um, but I just, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's interesting that just in and of itself, you have this really crazy family, um, family life and family lifestyle. And you've had to make a lot of changes to the way that you did it. Cause you are neurotypical if we're, you know, if we're using, I know that your husband has some food allergies, so there's that, but like you came like normal upbringing, you can eat whatever you want. And now you're having to like sanitize your kitchen after every after getting out some milk to put in your coffee. And it's like, what are some of those changes that you've had to make for all the different things? Well, so Alex will laugh at this. I was not type A. I was not a type A parent. (laughs) I was not a type A person. I was one of the least organized, just go with the flow, Jack. Yeah, because you're a type A person. Oh, my word. He is so type A. He's an accountant, we should specify. Yes. He is an accountant who deals with compliance and ethical things. So he is like (laughs) so on the line with everything in life, which is lovely. And there were some changes I obviously had to to make being married to this man. But then I think parenting these two kids has taken it far beyond that. So we had to come up with systems that worked for us that we could easily explain to other people. We have had to build uh, like our own community of support of people who get it, um, be it food allergies or autism or CP or everything. Uh, But we've had to figure out different things like when we were in Canada and dealing with food allergies, I remember I hated that every time I would wipe the counter, I would forget which cloth I was supposed to not use because one cloth was for Little Miss and one cloth was for the rest of us. So I finally just bought two colored cloths. And so <laughs> all of the cloths in our house were either brown or blue. And the blue ones for, were for Little Miss and the brown ones were for anything that was contaminated because at least I would remember brown was dirty. <laughs> That's a good system. This is all also happening in the midst of having an eight-month-old who now is allergic to every food on the planet. And you're also exhausted at every moment because you're waking up to nurse like multiple times a night and have a two-year-old. Right. And you're nursing, so you have to adhere to her diet, right? Which yes. you're trying to figure out even like what it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. I'm exhausted just like talking about it. Um, so I know that... Like like we've been talking about, you had to make a lot of changes and there was a lot of roads to figuring out what was wrong or what was going on, I'll say, with each kid. Um, And I know that 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 road could, uh, again, could be a whole podcast in and of itself, but... What I really want to get into is um, is your ministry. So your heart for other moms who are going through this. And I want to know where, why you saw the need for this. Was there not something that existed already? And, and where did you come in? This all kind of started... Little Miss was still an infant. She was just out of the NICU. And I met another mom at Bible study who had a child who was immunocompromised and medically complex. And 
we just understood each other. We understood how you are never more than two feet away from hand sanitizer. We understood that that's not germophobia that is keeping our kids healthy. And we understood what it was like to give your kids medication on a daily basis and all the doctor's appointments. And we just built this really great friendship and support system that other moms didn't get because they didn't understand what it was like to bring a baby home from the NICU and still have to be careful every second of every day and monitor things and be on top of things. And it just kind of grew from there. We grew um, more friendships of moms like this who understood. And then moving from having this really good support group in Canada to Arkansas where I knew no one, it just... It reinforced the need for that. It reinforced the need to have a group of moms who aren't going to judge when my son has a meltdown because his toast is cut the wrong way or aren't going to judge when... I have to pull out the hand sanitizer or I'm pulling out sanitizing claws because someone just spilled something on my counter and they think you should just wipe it up with paper towel. And that would just not have that. But then also understood what it's like to spend hours in a therapy waiting room every week or mm. that don't bat an eyelash when you say, oh, I'm really sorry, we can't do that. We have therapy that morning instead of the moms were like, well, just move it. The need for moms who get it. And mm. I think you were actually the first one in our little group that has coffee every week and we connected through Bible study. Yeah. It was, I think, I mean, that was fairly early on in our adoption of Rock. Um, and at that point, we didn't know that he had any high needs aside from just, um, you know, some sensory issues that resulted from drug exposure. Um, and that felt high needs enough. But, you know, I think that you saw me in my struggles because I was still, you know, he was still detoxing when we met. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, he was still detoxing when we met. And I was just in this situation where I think you saw me being frazzled and you saw me not knowing what to do. And you were like, why don't you come over here? <laughs> Let's hang out. Yeah, and we started hanging out on Thursday mornings when Rock was at therapy, Mm -hmm. and uh, we've always just kind of had an open door policy at our house, so we have a big playroom for the kids, and we would just send the kids upstairs to play and chat and have coffee, and it's grown, and it's wonderful because I think every week we get together and there are weeks where we talk nothing about high needs. And then there was weeks where all we talk is high needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was great to have that when I'm, um, I mean, just talking about my own story, it was great to have that when we got rocks, Marfan diagnosis. Cause Jack was one of the first people I called. Cause I knew that you would get it. I knew that, I, you know, whenever I felt like such a helicopter mom, because all of a sudden I can't let this two year old bowling ball of a kid fall because that might, mess with this heart or break a bone or just whatever. And, and I was, I was, I could feel the other parents watching me as I'm like, you know, helicoptering around him, like, don't climb on that. Don't do this. Don't do this. And and you got it. And, but that, that system was already in place. And I think that that's so great. Cause I think a, a lot of parents try to fit their families into the normal box and it just doesn't work like that. And, and you understand that. And I think, and in our group, which extends beyond the people who can actually meet in person, you know, you have this community of prayer requests and, um, and encouragement that, 
you know, not everyone even knows each other. Um, and now I'm, I'm so excited that you're branching out of that into a podcast that can reach people that you don't even know, or you don't even have contact with. But I think that, um, adoption totally fits into that high needs category, whether or not people even think that, you know, cause I think that when you adopt even a newborn, you really want them to be normal. You really want their, you know, everything to be great, but there's still trauma that occurs. Right. And you've seen that in the moms that you support over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the analogy of a square peg in a round hole, except when you adopt or when you're adding someone into your family, fostering adoption. However, you're adding another corner to that. So then it's like a pentagon <laughs> in a round hole or, you know, an octagon or hexagon or all of those things because each fit, like each adoption that comes into your family, it's adding that extra little level of need. They... And it's not just their need in that individual child. It's the children that are already existing within your family or and the parents because mm-hmm. you're going through this transition of trying to find the new normal. And with high needs parenting, that really is what happens. Even if it's before a diagnosis, an official diagnosis and you know that something's going on, you're finding that new normal within your family mm-hmm. and everyone goes through transition and everyone goes through just different periods of, I hate saying grief, but it, it is grief. Absolutely. I remember with Mr. Big, my husband, he, he was that kid who played sports a lot and he was really looking forward to coaching t-ball or basketball with miniman and then we got his official ASD diagnosis and just the reality that he might not play t-ball or baseball or basketball because that might not be what he can handle sensory wise or social socially so it's that grief of i guess i'm not going to be a t-ball dad mhm when Little Miss got her CP diagnosis, you know, I spent years upon years, decades in a dance studio. And I'm like, my kid is not probably not going to be a prima ballerina or a competitive dancer. And that was just part of the identity I had built for her Yeah, before she had even really been born. Like, I mean we knew she was a girl at 15 weeks and in your head, you start building these dreams and hopes and with high needs, those change. And with adoption, that changes too, because you never know what you're going to get. You don't know the trauma that someone is coming into your family with. You don't know what their genetics are always. You don't know what could be underlying. I mean, you guys with Rock, you knew that you were getting this fragile child who was going through some stuff and he, some choices were, that were made that weren't his and they were affecting his life. But then, you know, two years later, a year and a half later, you get this other big extra helping of stuff that you're like, this wasn't even on our radar when we welcomed him into our family. Oh, hey guys. I hope you're enjoying my interview with Jack, but I wanted to cut in here and remind you guys to rate and review this podcast. I know that I sound like a broken record, but 
it's so important for helping this podcast rise up in the ranks and be recommended to more adoptive moms or just people looking for adoptive resources who need to hear it. And that literally is like from you, like you have to do that. So if, um, if you have found value in this podcast and you think that others might as well, I would just really appreciate it if whatever, um, whatever method of listening you're using, if you could just go and rate and review it, um, it'll help me to make improvements too. If you have some feedback for me, I am always appreciative of that. And like I said, it's going to help others to see it. Um, and I, I'm just so appreciative of you guys for listening and supporting this podcast. And this is just a really tangible way to continue doing that. So thank you so, so much. I hope you're loving my interview with Jack and let's get back to it. I mean, no mom brands herself as a high needs mom before they have kids. And so all of a sudden you have this new identity almost. And I have heard even cancer moms talk about this where it's like, they never wanted to be in the cancer mom club, but it's this community of women who get it. And I, every one of them say that they're so thankful for it, but they would have never wanted entry into that club. And I think that as moms, we want our kids to be normal and healthy. And, you know, I mean, I say normal because we want the best life for them. And, you know, when we, when we get these kids who have higher needs or just are differently abled, um, we, we struggle to find our identity in that. Um, yes. And I, and that leads me into something else I wanted to talk to you about. So with my podcast, something that I felt really, um, compelled to do was create a community for moms to talk about motherhood, not for moms to talk about their kids. Um, not that our kids aren't part of motherhood, obviously, but I think that, you know, especially if we're talking about higher needs, there's lots of Facebook community groups on being a Marfan mom and it's talking about your kid and their needs and what you do for them. But there's not a lot of communities out there that are like, Hey, how are you doing with all this? Let's talk about you. And separately, you know, cause we didn't, we didn't know each other before we started our things, but that's something you've done too. It's the high needs mom group. Not like, Hey, let's talk about our kids needs, which again is part of it, but you're looking at the mom and how she's doing. So talk to me about that. Well, it's, it's a conversation that my husband and I had early on. And it's also part of the reason why I refer to my kids as mini man and little miss and my husband as Mr. Big, because I'm not telling their story. I'm telling my story and my version of motherhood. And I think we can get lost in the day-to-day of our kids and forget about ourselves. And I think we see that a lot and we are starting to recognize it more even for, you know, regular moms who their entire identity becomes their kids as a high needs mom. It's so much more, it's so easy, it's much easier to become to take on your kid's identity as yourself. And, you know, I'm a preemie mom and I'm an ASD mom and I'm a CP mom, but I'm still a mom. I'm still Jack. I'm still me. And helping other moms realize that you can still be yourself Mm -hmm. outside of the diagnosis. And you might not be the same person you were before the diagnosis, but you can still have your own identity outside of that. And that 
parenting kids with extra going on is still parenting, there aren't books about it. Like, let's face it, there are tons of books on how to be a Marfan, um, what Marfans is like or what CP is like and how to navigate therapies and how to do all of this. But there aren't books on how do I still be myself while doing all these things? And I want to help moms feel like they're still a mom and still themselves beyond that diagnosis, above that diagnosis, and focus on, hey, what did you do for yourself this week? What's your quote-unquote self-care, which is one of those kind of big things now, but you know, five, six years ago when we, when my small group of friends started talking about it, it wasn't as big of a deal. It wasn't as prevalent in society as a whole. So talking about what did you do for yourself today? What are you doing to help it yourself get through tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Is that having a shower? Is that little things? And just also supporting moms in terms of encouragement for them and helping them celebrate what they've accomplished. So we celebrate what our kids have done and the little or big things our kids accomplish on a weekly basis, but we also try and celebrate what we've done. What did you get to do this week? Did you finish your task list? Did you, I don't know, shower more than once this week? Because let's face it, (laughs) our times We don't have an opportunity to shower more than once or twice in a week or blow dry our hair. Oh my word, I have to schedule when I shower so that I have enough time to do my hair. Well, it it feels inefficient. You know what I mean? To be standing there doing just one thing, you're just showering. That's all you can do. You can't do anything else while you're doing that. So you're like, well, that's inefficient. So that goes to the bottom of the list. Exactly. I think when you are a high needs mom, you become... You get your master's degree in efficiency. (laughs) How can I work on therapy stuff and make dinner at the same time? Yes. Or how can I be like on the phone and working on my planner or just whatever? Yeah. See, I think that these are the kinds of conversations that come when you build this community. And I am so excited about your podcast because I think that you're going to be able to, I've said it twice now, I think like we could make a whole another podcast about this thing. And I really wanted to hit about the community building and how high needs affects adopted affects adoptive moms. Um, but I want to talk about your podcast too, and how you're going to go into depth on some of these issues. So I have listened to a lot of podcasts And I think it's one of the avenues that we can actually get information out there in an easily digestible avenue. And it's efficient. (laughs) And uh, I laugh at myself when I say things like easily digestible because in my former life, I was a content and digital marketing CEO. So this is like marketing brain 101. (laughs) Uh, But I have listened to a lot of podcasts and there are a lot of podcasts about being a special needs mom or having a forever kid. And I think when we look at parenting, special needs and high needs, it's a spectrum, just like autism is a spectrum or cerebral palsy. I think parenting special needs and high needs kids is a spectrum. And 
there just seemed to be this missing component. There was a lot of parenting podcasts and there's a lot of special needs podcasts, but there's not a lot in between in this gray area of how do I effectively parent or get therapies for a kid who's mainstreamed in school? How do we do their IEPs? Um, And so I wanted to talk to as many people as I could about what high needs life looks like for them and areas that they are really excelling in. And uh, we're launching, well, it launched by the time you guys hear this. (laughs) We're launching on my son's eighth birthday. So my eighth momiversary. So I've had eight years of parenting. I feel like I've collected all of these little people I go to for advice. I have my autism mama mentor coming on and talking about parenting on the spectrum and then, you know, the five kids she has that are neurotypical, which isn't an uh, vantage point I have. I don't know what it's like to parent a neurotypical kid because I have two not neurotypical kids (laughs) and talking to people about who are great with IEPs because... Once your kids are in school and figuring out IEPs, I did not have time to read seven books about IEPs. Um, Sorry. I did not have time to read seven books on IEPs to figure out what I needed to know going into an IEP meeting. Sorry, IEP, Individualized Education Plan. So then trying to figure out how to do an IEP for a mainstreamed kid. What does it look like? What do I need to ask for? So we have one of our occupational therapists that's going to chat with me about IEPs. And then I also have a teacher who was Minnie Man's first grade teacher who's amazing, who has 30 years of teaching experience, talking about how to approach a teacher about IEPs or approach a teacher for a kid with sensory issues or ideas or just open communication with teachers because that can be daunting. Mm -hmm. Your kid's going to spend how many hours a day with these people and if you don't have open communication, that can be really difficult. Um, Talking food allergies and bringing food allergies into a school environment and how to not have a heart attack every single day. How to not be a helicopter parent, which I will fully admit I'm totally a helicopter parent when it comes to food allergies. Thankfully, little Mrs. Kindergarten teacher loves me and is okay with the fact that I helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) And just going through a lot of other things that parents might be anxious about or question, like sports. How do we introduce sports to our kids with sensory issues? Or how do we introduce sports to our kids who have some physical differences and make it inclusive? How do we find those environments? What are the questions we need to ask? What information do we need to give the coaches? There's just so much more involved sometimes with these kids that taking them to swim team can be daunting Mm -hmm. and then we don't do it. And I feel like we're depriving not just our children of the experience, but we're depriving every other kid the opportunity to learn about the differences our kids have in that type of environment and build an inclusive world for our kids later on. 
Absolutely. And that's, that's, oh, that's so cool. And I can't wait to listen. Um, but I think that if you were to talk to these, I don't know, these moms who don't want to think of their kids as high needs, because I think that, I think that there is a certain amount of denial there. Um, there was for me, you know, where I was like, no, everything's fine. But what would you, what would you say about this community and why it's so important? Because you just talked about, you know, the, the, the differences are going to be there and your kids are going to struggle whether you want them to or not. Right. Um, so whether or not you're like, la la la, everything's fine. You still need this community. So why? Well, your, your children are different. And we can't change that in by ignoring it. There are things you can do that will help them assimilate into regular society, air quotes. But it takes work. But it also takes community. And I think having a community of moms where you can ask, hey, they've mentioned this before and I have no idea where to look for this information. Or have you guys heard of, or do you know a great pediatrician who's good with this or with that? But then also having moms who have gone before you to know what resources are great. And it hurts my heart when I see parents who disregard and ignore the differences that their kids are because that kid is already going to have a harder Mm. lot in life. And we're not teaching them acceptance of themselves when we're not accepting them for who they are or wanting them to change. And I've worked with kids for most of my life and I've seen parents who are afraid of the label because they're afraid of what the negative connotation that comes from having that label. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to have a little bit more faith in society these days to be accepting of it. And, you know, the autism world has changed so much in the last 20 years and people are more accepting of it and building your community and finding a community that can help lift you up on those really tough days in normal mom life or high needs mom life is important. And I think Mm -hmm. if you're a high needs mom and you're having a hard time accepting that high needs mom label, then find some high needs moms who get it. Build a community around yourself of moms who understand littles who have a little bit extra going on. Absolutely. And I have to add this disclaimer that I think that, I mean, then this is, this is a personal experience thing. So some of my listeners might not feel this way, but a lot of the thing, a lot of the time, what, what dissuades me from feeling a part of the community is that I don't identify with the other moms in that group and that they're all really sweet or it doesn't feel super genuine or it, it feels like you can't be yourself or you can't actually talk about what's wrong or where you're at. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about Jack is that 
you're, you're not, you're not like that. Like you're pretty feisty too. And that's how I am. It's like, I, I think that that's pretty evident on my podcast. There's, there's not a lot of sweetness or sugary, (laughs) anything going on. I'm pretty raw and open. And that was one of the things that I wanted to be different about. And that's how you are too. You know, you're like, I'm going to kill my children. Like you'll say stuff like that. And I mean, of course you're not, but it's nice that you can say that. And I'm not like, Oh, but how have you taken care of their hearts today? You know, or something like that. And I think that that's, I don't know. I, I, I love that about you, that your community that you're building is so real. Yes. And maybe it's a difference between cultures growing up <laughs> Canadian and then moving to the South. Um, and I love living in the South. It's wonderful. And Southern hospitality has blown my mind from the day we moved here. And I just, I want people to know that there is a real side to this and it's not perfect. My life is not picture perfect. Um, If you follow me on Instagram, you will see me probably with my hair not done and my makeup smudged and my house crazy, messy. Uh, I host coffee for high needs moms in my home every week. And one morning, Alex was the first one there and I was still in sweats and she's like, are you okay? (laughs) Like, yeah, this is just my life. Like, this is what happens when you're running around like a crazy person trying to get stuff done for your kids and forget to put a bra on and y'all one time jack had just had surgery so she didn't she literally didn't even get out of bed like we all came to her house and she stayed in bed and was texting us from her room (laughs) but that's real life she was like i still want you guys to come but i am not coming out because i don't feel good and i'm gonna stay here and text y'all to be fair i had had just had brain surgery surgery but i think it's great that you're like we're still gonna have this community whether or not i you know can be there or not yes perfect but it still happened right unless i'm gonna get someone else sick anyone is welcome at my house (laughs) on thursday mornings for high needs coffee and Yeah, because I know that that community is so important. If we don't have that community, then we're just islands or in our own boat trying to travel this crazy, you know, crazy river rafting water of parenting special needs kids. That sounded really awkward. (laughs) (laughs) No, I got your drift or your, uh, now I can't talk. (laughs) Drift. There you go. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have some questions here. So what do you wish that someone had told you at the beginning of this journey? Coffee is your friend. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think don't question yourself so much. If someone had said to me, like, trust your instincts, trust what your thoughts are, and go with it rather than feeling like I questioned everything we did in those first few years. Just trust your mom instincts. They're there for a reason. Mm, That's a good one. I like that. I haven't heard that one before. Um, Okay. So what's something you wish you had done differently? Had more coffee. (laughs) all coffee related it's always coffee coffee it does it does life happens coffee helps (laughs) 
I wish I had gotten connected with more specific groups Mm. associated with things. So we're now, you know, four years later diving into ASL and learning sign language and trying to figure that out. And it's something I wish I had learned earlier on or getting involved with more of the cerebral palsy groups just for encouragement, not that I wanted that to be my identity, but just getting plugged in with specific groups so that you have those specific people to ask questions to. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that they serve different purposes. You know, those groups are good because you can get education and what you need, but then having a group that just supports you, not supports you supporting your kids, you know? Right. So it's like, it's all inclusive. It all matters. So I think that's good. Um, Okay. What is your favorite way that your tribe supported you through your story? And I know that that's a little tricky because you've, you've already talked about having to kind of build your own tribe. Um, but do you have any friends from before that jumped on this train with you? I do. And I think accepting my kids for who they are was big. It was never about the fact that they have CP or the fact that they're deaf or have autism. It was always just about your Jack's kids and we love you for who you are. Um, I think supporting us through all of the choices that we've had to make for our kids and not questioning them Mm. is big. We just recently this fall did a really big surgery for little miss for her cerebral palsy. And as much as there were people in our lives who questioned us, is this the right decision? Is this what you should be doing? My tribe just came up behind us and supported us through the whole thing in more of a, what can we do for you? How can we help you? How can we serve you? Mm -hmm. And in my surgery as a mom, I mean, I was in bed for six, eight weeks trying to recover from brain surgery, which is not easy, by the way. Oh, I thought it was. It's super easy. <laughs> it's a breeze. It's great. Um, helping support me through parenting through that. I had friends who would come and pick Little Miss up and take her to therapy and bring her back afterwards because they knew that's a way they could help us and bless us was to be able to do those things. And then also knowing that if they brought dinner, I wasn't going to serve it to Little Miss. (laughs) And understanding those idiosyncrasies that just happen in our house without questioning them or being offended. Yeah. And I think that that, I mean, that translates into like, how does your, your current tribe, you know, how do the people that get it serve you best? And I, um, I, the other side of that question is always, how did you, how have you felt hurt or misunderstood by the people that surround you? Oh, I think people assume that if they give you their opinion, you're going to take it. Mm. And then they're hurt when you don't always take their advice. And I think what people don't see is all of the different angles that have to go into something before you can make a decision, especially when it comes to high needs kids and integrating that into your family. So just because there's this brand new therapy that comes out that could help doesn't mean A, that it applies to my kid or B, that it fits in with our family and how 
it could affect each and every aspect of our family or even our child. There are some awesome therapies out there that could work for one certain thing, um, like food allergies, but it's not the right kind of food allergies, or it doesn't work with a different part of what makes Little Miss Little Miss. And so when we don't pursue something, people are then hurt by the fact that we didn't take their opinion into, um, that we didn't use their opinion. Yeah. Which I think when you're supporting high needs parents or adoptive parents, you have to understand that they're making the decisions that's best for them as a whole. And you have to support them in the choices that they make, whether you like them or not. Well, and knowing that even if you understand a lot of the story and accept what you understand, you very rarely have the whole picture because you just can't unless you're living it. And that goes for adoptive parents too. You know, you might understand in general what rad is, but that doesn't mean that you understand exactly what rad means for your kid or your family or how a certain behavior translates into your living nightmare, you know, or something like that. Right. Right. And you can say, oh, well, I know what rad is, but if you've never experienced it or you've never experienced trauma, Mm -hmm. you really have no idea what it's like to be this person, let alone trying to parent this person because you're as a parent, you're coming at it from a completely different perspective. And yeah, you don't see 24-7. It's like social media. Social media shows sometimes the highlights mm-hmm. of our life. It doesn't show everything and the nitty-gritty of crazy, even for those of us who try to be fully open and honest on social media. You still aren't seeing all of the nitty-gritty of our life, yes, right? Absolutely. So what is your favorite... Um, what is what has been your favorite resource if you, if you had to pick one for high needs parenting? My mom's group. <laughs> hey, you know what? That makes me feel good because I'm part of that. <laughs> uh, having a group to just talk to. As I said before, there isn't a book on high needs parenting and being a high needs mom. There are a lot of books on individual topics. Mm. There is not a book on how to navigate this. There is not a book on how to, for example, parent a strong-willed child who has cerebral palsy, who you need to be ridiculously strong-willed when it comes to therapy and pushing through and persevering in that aspect, but you would really like it if they weren't so strong-willed to pick out a pair of socks. Right? Right? Like you could have a switch that was like compliant, strong-willed, and they could just... Right. So there's a lot... There are a lot of books on strong-willed children. I think I've read most of them. (laughs) None of them have worked with Little Miss. She is still a very strong-willed child, and I don't know how to work, but I have to work with that because I need it. Mm -hmm. But having a mom's group, having a tribe to at least talk to it and have moms who get what it's like. Um, And I think one of my other favorite, most amazing resources are the kids' therapists, Because they work with our kids and they have read all the books and they have all this expertise and they deal with a lot of different kids. So when I have questions 
I go to the therapists and I say, okay, what am I supposed to do about this? Mm -hmm. Have you come up against this before? What do you do? Because she's an angel for you. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, have you noticed this in the classroom with mini man's therapists and that type of stuff? Absolutely. Um, And often you can talk to them about real life things too, because they do have such an intimate connection with your kids. Um, and they see them the way that they act under pressure and pressure when they're being asked to do something that they don't necessarily want to do. How do they react then? And so, I mean, I talk to my kids OTs about behaviors that don't have a lot to do with OT, but I'm like, he's biting. (laughs) Help me here. Yes. That's an OT issue, right? (laughs) They're like, sure. How about this? Yes. Or just how, how do they react when you ask them to do this? This is how they're reacting for me. How can I reframe it? How can I rephrase it? So if you have kids who are in occupational therapy, physical therapy, behavioral therapy, any of that, asking their therapist and using their therapist as a resource is invaluable because you can't get that person in book form. It just doesn't work, but they are wonderful. And if you have friends that are OTs and PTs, keep them close. Yes. Supply them with wine if that's what they need. (laughs) It's a currency among women. (laughs) So then they will answer your questions when you have them and ask them things. Yes. So um, if you could sum it all up into one piece of advice or, or encouragement and you were looking at the mom, not um, like we've been talking about, not the mom plus her kids, but just if you were looking at her heart and her acceptance of her life, what would you say? You will survive. Ooh. I think that sounds cliche, but there's so much packed into that, you know? This past year, 2018 was a rough year and I survived it. Some moments I don't know how, but I did. And it's not always about thriving. And there is a big push on thriving in motherhood. And I do believe it's possible. And I believe we will all get to a point where we can thrive in motherhood. But a lot of times when we're staring at a diagnosis or we're in a really tough point, we just need the encouragement that you will survive. Mm. You will wake up tomorrow drink 10 cups of coffee and still be a great mom. Yes. Mm. It's good stuff, Miss Jack. So how can people get, A, how can people get involved in your community, the high needs mom community, but also uh, where can they find your podcast? So my podcast is High Needs Mom Life and you can find me everywhere where you find podcasts. And you can follow me on Instagram at High Needs Mom or Facebook, High Needs Mom Life. And yeah, if you are looking for a High Needs Mom community, send me a message and we'll get you hooked in with one. And the probability is I know someone somewhat local to you. Absolutely. And... I'll have all this in the show notes as usual, links and everything, but Jack, I'm so excited that you're getting to be on the podcast and that you're um, getting to share your heart for, um, mom is in the trenches, but 
in such a specific way with my listeners. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.